Let's fucking do this, mate. Can I leave that in? Yeah, of course you can. <laughs> leave whatever you want in. I don't care. Did you hit record? I say I don't care. I famously do care about every single detail and give you feedback on it all. So. Yeah. Welcome back to the podcast. You're listening to episode number 193 of Starting the Conversation. I'm your host, Alice Benham, back for the second instalment of a Q&A episode with my brilliant team member and podcast producer, Em. Hello friends. I'm going to call you my friends even though we have never met in real life. I feel like you'd only listen to this podcast if you enjoy hearing Alice chat. So therefore we're all friends here. I love that. Just just bringing them into the community with us. Yeah, it's like they're sat in the studio. Except there's no one sat talk. here except for it's just it's just an abyss. Yeah. And lights. It's a bit hot in here actually. I'm quite warm. Yeah. Anyone else want to talk about the fact that we had heatwave recently? Yeah, heatwave. I've heard we haven't talked about it enough. What I love is everyone is suddenly an expert on heat management. Like it cracks me up. And don't get me wrong, I do it myself. We just love to have a tip. Everyone's like, yep. do this, do that. And I'm seeing, you know, some people are telling me to shut my curtains, some people are telling me to keep them open. Some people are telling me to put tin foil on my windows. I personally think I that mean, would make it like an oven, but I don't know. That's apocalyptic <laughs> shit. <laughs> I saw really a heat wave. I saw that and I was like, surely that just makes it more like an oven than cooler. I don't know. I put my hot water bottle in the freezer. That was a great tip that I saw on TikTok. I don't know if I had any tips. Just wear less clothes, buy more ice. Do you think the way that global warming's going, they might start selling them as cold water bottles Yeah, as well. which would just be so stupid because it's just the same thing, isn't it? It's basically a whatever temperature you want water bottle. Yeah. I'd say hot water bottle is actually mis-selling It, it. should just be a bottle. But it's, it's a Chili's bottle that's flexible and it can go in your bed. <laughs> hot water bottle incorporated. You reach out to me, I will help you rebrand anytime. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you pivot your business to understand global warming. Absolutely. We're starting <laughs> with some doom and gloom on today's episode. <laughs> right, let's bring this back to some form of intention. Q&A. 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 We did one of these episodes. We did. A month and a bit ago. Yep. The people loved it. They did. It went down very well. I, really even I, I even got messages saying how much people loved it. That's when you know it's done okay. And I'm when... really no one. So the fact that people messaged me personally and said how much they loved the episode, I have to say, I think it did well. Yeah, a lot of people said it was just like a quick fire, lots of expertise in different areas. In what, and I was like, do you know what? I'm so glad you felt that way. Because they're a lot of fun to record. Won't lie to you. A lot easier than sat talking about the same topic for 45 <laughs> minutes. I thoroughly enjoy it. So we're back. I asked over on Instagram what questions you have. Em has collated them. I don't know what she's going to ask me. Who knows where this episode is going to go. But Em, would you like to kick us off with our first question? Okay, first question. There's no personal questions in this Q&A, just to oh. let you know now. Because I know Why that- Why does no one care about my personal No one asks you any personal, very personal questions anyway, unlike Q&A one. If you're interested, go listen to the previous episode, link in the show notes. Anyway, I've been self-employed for a year and a half and a lot of the time things feel really hard. When did running a business feel easy for you? Or when does it at least start to feel easier? Not six years in, I'm afraid. <laughs> When does it feel easy? I don't know if it ever feels easy. I guess what I would say is there's an element of ease that does come as your business becomes more established. And what I'd say that comes down to is the building of momentum. Mm -hmm. If you think of it like getting a massive boulder rolling on the ground, those first few turns are gonna take a lot of effort and a lot of work. And I think you can easily liken that to starting a business. You know putting yourself out there for the first time, establishing yourself, working with those first few clients, it feels so difficult for what it is that you're actually doing. Obviously then the more that you do it, the momentum builds. 
you maybe get better at it you get more motivated people start to do some of the work for you because you're building brand recognition so yeah i would acknowledge as you get more established there's a bit more ease but then what i'd say to that is I think you then, when you're more established, just have more problems as well. It's like, I don't think it gets easier as your business grows. I think the problems just change shape. So can I get my first client suddenly turns into how can I sustain all this client work that I've got and not burn out? Or how do I make enough money to pay myself suddenly evolves into how do I make enough money to sustain this team that I've built? Instead of I'm scared that I can't get successful, it's then I'm scared that I can't sustain the success that I've got or it's dropping, what's going wrong? Do you see what I mean? I feel like it doesn't get easier, it just gets different. <laughs> and I think most people who are self-employed always want the next thing. And everyone generally, if you're a business owner, you generally want like the next big thing and you're excited about like the next move. But I guess by doing that, you almost, like you're putting more and more pressure on yourself. So it never really does get easier because again, as you said, that the problems basically just change shape. Yes. And you're constantly wanting the next thing. So it just constantly feels overwhelming. Yeah. And what I'd also say is it probably doesn't get easier, but I do think you get better. Yeah, agreed. So I think running a business is hard. I'll never shy away from that. But yeah, I probably find it easier now, not because of the business has changed, but just I'm better equipped. I'm more confident. I'm better at doing it. I've kind of learned how to help myself. That's a really depressing answer, isn't it? But I think it's an honest one. I also think what this feeds into is the idea that we're going to reach a point in our businesses where it just gets easy and then all we have to do is sustain and in my experience when you're running a business you never stop changing because your business has to keep evolving to keep up you know if you think businesses are all about serving people people are always changing their needs their wants and also kind of how they want to interact with your business is going to change as well let alone kind of the world that we operate within changing too so because of that, our businesses are always gonna be changing. We're never really gonna reach this point of like, okay, I've made it and now I just get to sit here and chill and everything sustains. Like in my experience, you level up and change, it sustains for a little bit and then you've gotta do that again. And I think if your expectations are wrong in that there is gonna be this magical endpoint where it gets really easy forever, you're gonna find yourself disappointed. Actually, if you get on board with the idea that business never quite get super easy but hey there will be a bit more ease and maybe I'll get a bit better at, at working with the challenges oh and also the challenges can be fun I think it becomes easier to deal with the lack of easiness yeah and following on from that I was going to say having friends who are then working within the same space as you sometimes helps that because mm. you've got people to bounce ideas off of you don't feel as much like you're the only person doing it yes and I think that can feel make things feel a lot easier too which yeah. follows into my question that someone asked which is how did you make business friends like how did you go about making friends who are also self-employed business owners interesting question and definitely one that I asked when I stepped into business if people aren't familiar and you can go listen to a whole episode on it if you really care that much but I did a year of business where I was incredibly isolated I didn't know any other business owners and it was one of the biggest contributing factors to me burning out when I then stepped back into business about six months later one of the biggest things I knew I needed to do differently was to be in community so I was asking this question of like well how do I how do I how do I make friends <laughs> and I felt like I was back in school like how yeah. do I make mates like I can see these friendship groups I can see these people like how do I get that and for me, what it looked like was just getting myself into community, noticing where are people hanging out, 
that are the kind of people that I want to be connecting with. So at the time for me, that was Facebook groups, that was memberships, that was events. So I just threw myself into that. You know, don't be afraid to be the one to make the first move, slide into the DMs. Yeah. I think it can be easy to see other people's friendships and think, oh, I want that. I'm just going to wait till that falls on my doorstep. But actually, if I reflect on most of the business friends I have now, they started because I reached out first. Like a great example of this actually is one of my best friends, Jess Reeford, who has been on this podcast multiple times, who I live with, like she's not just a business friend. We met because Jess took part in one of my free challenges and then I invited Jess on my podcast. Actually, most of my friends I met because I invited them on my podcast, which is slightly lame. Um, but I think a great example that sometimes you gotta make the first move and you never know where something might lead. So I'd say figure out where people are hanging out, make the first move and also just be kind. You know, don't go into it with the intention of looking for a strategic friendship or a friendship that's gonna benefit you. Look for ways that you can help others, be of service to them and you'll see it come back to you as long as your intentions are in the right place. And it's like anything, it gets easier the more you do it because once you've got one friend, they might introduce you to their friend and then their other friend. And then before you know it, you've got loads of friends. That was perfect. Um, I also think I completely agree with you. I think like all the friends I have who are also self-employed, it's because I messaged them on Instagram because I thought their photography was cool or like I liked what they were doing. And then we became friends on Instagram and then we happened to be in the same place. So then we became friends in real life Mm. or I had them on my podcast. Like that's such an easy, I feel so naff, but it's such an easy way to make friends. Honestly, start a podcast. Yeah. Just not you a podcast with publish it. Yeah, just <laughs> just just buy a fake microphone and just sit down with people. They will never know. Joking, don't do that. But yeah, it's great because it's, it's an easy way to chat. Yeah, it's like instead of picking someone's brain over a coffee, which no one really wants to do, it's a networking opportunity for you, disguised as a valuable opportunity for them. And also, maybe a friendship will be made along the way. What would it take for you to quit the business you currently have and be employed by someone else instead? Shit ton of money. <laughs> really. <laughs> I'm joking. Everyone's got a price though, haven't they? I don't think I could ever be actually an employee. Obviously I work for you, but I'm still self-employed. I don't think I could ever actually work for someone. I'm not very good at being told what to do. 10 million pounds a year and you just have to do it for a year. But I know I'd be so unhappy. 10 million pounds for a year though. I I still don't know if I'd do it. I'm not motivated by money. I'm actually one of the least money motivated people I know. Like I pay myself quite a low salary. It's just enough money. I don't really care about making more than that right now but I think I do see the benefits of having money like yeah if if I got a million pounds yeah I'd like invest in property I'd help out my family and friend like you know yeah for the right it depends on what the job is no I think I could do anything for a year for I'd say for 10 million I could do any job providing it's not being harmful to other people or animals for a year I love that that was because I'd be like right 10 mil okay that's a couple of million to charities that I really care about agreed you know pay off my parents mortgage agreed pay off my brother's school fees yeah buy some properties myself you know what I mean I'm like yeah okay but I mean being a bit more sensible than that because I I don't think this is going to be happening anytime soon but I really really love the way we're going with this (laughs) no one's going to pay me 10 million pounds so so is that that is what would mean that you would quit your business and be employed by someone else's 10 million pounds for a year (laughs) well that's the technical answer the the actual answer which I'm sure this person was more looking for is I yeah I do think I could be employed don't get me wrong I think I'm wildly unemployable in the sense that I'm really used to all of the flexibility and autonomy that comes with running a business I think it would take a very special opportunity for me to quit working for myself 
but I can see myself and this is where I'm kind of aiming to go working more as a kind of consultant almost freelance strategist where a startup might hire me for six months and I'd be working full-time with that startup but I'd still be self-employed if that makes sense so more kind of contract work Mm -hmm. I could see myself doing that but I think that's kind of five ten years down the line I'd be very surprised if this current business you know lots of one-to-one clients lots of stuff going on if I'm doing this in five to ten years I won't be upset I love this but I'll be surprised. So yeah, I think I could see myself not being in in this kind of business, but it would take a very special job with a lot of autonomy and more money than I currently make. Because right now I don't mind making less money because I get qualitative gains. Yeah. If someone that. offered me the same amount of money I'm on now, I'd be like, well, no, because I'd be losing so many other things. So to go along with that, what would you then look for in that particular job? If you were, say, being hired to then do a nine to five, you were actually doing that for a year, two years, yeah. what is the one thing that would make you say yes to that job and and then step away from your business? I think autonomy would be the first thing. Not necessarily around like, I wanna work 10 to three or I wanna take Friday off. Like I'm not a big use the flexibility of working for yourself person. So that wouldn't really bother me. In fact, I'd probably end up working less hours if I worked a nine to five, so that would be fine. More so autonomy around kind of how I do my job. Like I, the thought of being micromanaged and someone being like, this is exactly what you need to do today would really infuriate me. So if there was a big vision, like we wanna dominate into this new area of the industry or the we wanna add this arm to the business, run with it, and they really trusted me to run with it, that's what I would love to do. Because what I don't get in my current business and my current work is much kind of hands-on stuff and I do miss that so I think yeah if a startup was like look we've got the budget we've got the team we've got the vision come in and figure out everything else we trust you I'm like yeah crack on it would need to be challenging even for 10 million I'd probably be quite annoyed if it wasn't challenging that's so interesting because there's so many people who would just do a job for a year for 10 million and then never work a day again in their life. I think it goes to show that you, the fact that you've, if you have even followed it up with, it still would have to be challenging to do a job for 10 million shows the kind of person you are and that you like, you really like working. Because there's a lot of people who would just be like, 10 million for a year, great, that's me sorted for life. But the fact you followed that up with, it would have to be a challenging year for 10 million, I think really yeah. goes to show what kind of person you are. That's really, I just think, yeah, it's really interesting. And it didn't even cross my mind that I wouldn't work after the 10 million year. Yeah, I'm like, of no, course I'd go back to work. Year, get a bit of cash and then all of a Yeah, of course I'd go back to work. Thing. But yeah. so many other people would be like, right, well, that's my life now. Yeah, very true. That's different priorities, isn't it? Yeah. I think I'm a bit of a loser probably for <laughs> saying that answer. But no, I, I would say the exact same thing. Yeah, watch this space. I can see myself not running a business forever. That wouldn't surprise me. So we'll see. I'm Ideas. only 24. Yeah, same. This is just career number one, you know? We're babies. Little babies. They give a lot of responsibility to people who are very young. Yeah, honestly. It's quite worrying. Yeah. I'm like, please stop <clears throat> empowering me. I'm, I'm I'm empowered enough. I'm like, I'm very, I'm very appreciative I get the work I do, but then I'm also like, shit, I'm actually, I feel like a child. Mm. Have you seen that TikTok audio that's like, I'm just a baby. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I feel every day. Honestly, when I'm stressed, I'm like, I'm just a baby. And I'm like, Alice, you're not 17 anymore. Like, it, you're not really young. You're 24. So if I'm coming to work with you as a client, how can I get the most out of my time with you? I guess to make it a bit broader, how do you get the most out of your time when you're working with a kind of one-to-one service provider? I would say take advantage of everything that they offer you. 
like within my client work, obviously the main way that my client work operates is through kind of calls and half day sessions. But alongside that, every single one of my clients also gets unlimited support. And for me, what that looks like is, you know, giving feedback on any kind of work they create that they want me to look over, even if it's not related to anything that we're working through, you know, listening to their three minute what's that voice notes when they're just having a bit of a bad day and they need to brain dump or bouncing ideas back and forth. Like I will literally be there for my clients as much as I'm able to. And I'm always telling my clients, please use me more. Like it's fine if you don't feel like you need me between sessions, I'm not gonna force you to chat to me for the sake of it. Like that's a bit lame. But if there's ever a moment when you think, oh, I, I wish I could just speak to someone who gets it. Or I wish I could just get a second opinion. Like don't hesitate to ask me because I know how valuable that support is. And it makes me really happy when my clients use that support. Like when I see a voice note and I'm like, oh, that's so cute Aww. that they've thought, oh, maybe I could ask Alice about this. Or when they valued my opinion on something to ask, you know, can I have some feedback on this new web page that I've built? That means a lot to me because I know it's gonna give them that extra bit of support that really makes a difference. So I guess whatever context that's in, depending on who you're working with, lean into it. They're offering it. So use it, you're paying for it. And then I guess it's all the other stuff of like, if you're a good client, you're gonna get a better service as well. I mean, I would say I provide excellence as much as I can to everyone that I work with. But you know, if you're an easy client to work with, the service provider is gonna be more inclined to give you a better service and go above and beyond as a result of that. It's the simple stuff, you know, reply to emails quickly, sign your contract. Pay your invoices. Yeah, damn right, pay your invoices people so speaking of client work what would you say is the biggest mistake that you see other service providers making in their the running of their business interesting i'm going to talk about something here which i could forever bang the drum of which is offboarding when it comes to your client work i feel like we talk a lot about onboarding i'm one of those people that talks about a lot it's very important you can make it streamlined you can automate it Props to you if you listened to last week's episode and learn more about that. And that's something that we have a real focus on because it's something that we have to do, right? We have to onboard a client in order to start working with them. We also give a very big focus to delivery. You know, when you're actually working with the client, how do you work together? What systems and tools do you use? How do you make that experience great? The part we often miss, I think, is the third step, which is offboarding. And what I mean by offboarding is everything that happens once you've finished that client project. Maybe you've delivered the end file or you've just finished the scope of work that you agreed to and then you're done. It's easy for it to just be, okay, bye, that's it. But that doesn't leave a great final taste in the client's mouth. It doesn't kind of finish the experience very intentionally. And also it doesn't allow you to kind of really close the loop in terms of getting some feedback and some insight back from that client. So what I'd encourage all service providers to think about is what is your offboarding process? Once someone has been given the thing or you've done the thing, whatever it is that you do, what then happens next? How are you gathering feedback? When are you gathering feedback? And I'm just gonna say something here. Don't just gather testimonials. A testimonial is the nice shiny bit. You know, I loved working with M because blah, blah, blah. That's great, that's lovely, that strokes our egos, that makes it easy to talk about our work with other people. That's not the only useful thing to understand. Gathering feedback is also about understanding how did you find the process of working together? How could I have made that a better process for you? Was there anything that you didn't understand at the start? What did you find most useful in the topics we covered? 
What are you still feeling a bit unsure about? How could I have served you better? Those questions are what really help us to improve our service in future because it gives us insight into what we might not see as the service provider. So I think offboarding is really important for that reason, because it helps you to kind of close the feedback loop and actually understand what people are thinking, but also just because it then ends things nicely for your client. You know, they've been through a journey with you and it feels a bit weird when you kind of just end on a high and, and that's it. It's nice for them to feel that that process has been rounded out. So that's what I would say. Think about your offboarding process. And as with anything, think about how you can create a really delightful process for your client. Delightful. Isn't it delightful. a delightful word to say, delightful? It is lovely. Just reminds me of Angel Delight. Did you ever have that <gasps> at school? We had it at, at home. It really? was our dessert every now and again. Oh, I'd have it at sometimes at primary school. I was never a hot lunch kid. Oh, that I know. Did, yeah. If I ever have kids, they are having hot lunches because yeah. I really felt I missed out with my pat lunches. This is reminding me of Chris and Rosie Ramsey's podcast recently because they were talking about pat lunches mm. and they were talking about what different people have in their pat lunch. I'll send you the episode. It was very good. Interesting. Just me. They were talking about sandwich fillings. <gasps> talking of sandwich fillings, <laughs> my mum, and I'll never forgive her for this, didn't okay. let me have jam sandwiches. She said they got too much sugar in them. They made me too excited. Nothing nutritious about them. I mean, that is fair enough. But they're so delicious. Have you ever had a jam sandwich? A bit of white bread, a bit of butter, a <laughs> bit of jam. Bam, squash it together. Oh, oh, what a time. I love a squashed sandwich. Yeah, it has to be squashed. Why is that? Don't know. Like, Must be something to do with like the surface area of the bread or like the, mm, I don't know. I don't like a very bready sandwich. I'm not in it for the bread. In it for the st- the bit in the middle. Yeah, the, the, also known as the filling. <laughs> the central piece. So following off of that, what is your favourite sandwich filling? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a question, but I can ask you that if you'd like. I am currently really enjoying, I mean, anyone who knows me will know that I have the taste buds of a five-year-old. So Very true. don't expect anything exotic here. Love a ham sandwich. Knew you were going to say With that. some crisps. <laughs> Knew that. <laughs> maybe quavers, maybe pombears. I'm, I'm properly at the moment into brie. The cheese oh you are so the other end of the spectrum literally i think me and, and, and i and cranberry and bacon oh no i'm allergic please. to cranberry so definitely no cranberries in there but i'm okay. i'm being quite a big fan of brie and ham and then some tomatoes and some cucumber but toasted oh my gosh you're banging. such an adult this is two 24 year olds who are really operating in different ways <laughs> two self-employed human beings who are very different you know we operate in slightly different ways gosh like, that sandwich sounds grimo to me in toasted though fantastic the cheese melts a toast t- sorry a toasted sandwich with a tomato in and it. a cucumber and cucumber yeah, <laughs> sorry i'm actually gonna from that sounds grim move on move on okay next question so how do you best prepare for a workshop <laughs> wow what a change of tone this is very topical actually one of my clients and i were talking about this yesterday because i think it's one of those things that now i've done it so much it just seems really obvious and autonomous to me but mm-hmm. i remember when i first started delivering workshops and i sat there with this blank google doc like i am terrified one of the biggest fears i have and i notice this a lot with other people so if anyone resonates i feel you is this constant fear that i'm not going to be able to fill time someone asked me to do a one-hour workshop and jenny even now to this day with all the evidence that I always go over the time limit, I'm still like, oh my gosh, what if I have nothing to say? Or what if it runs short? And I have a tendency as a result of that to completely overstuff, whether it's a workshop, a talk, even a podcast episode with information. And I have to constantly remind myself when I'm preparing anything, leave people with one thing. 
if you try and like change someone's life in a workshop, you're gonna leave them feeling really overwhelmed, more overwhelmed than they started. One thing, what do you want them to leave with? What do you want them to, to feel, to know, to understand, to be able to do? What's the end result? That for me is where I start when I'm preparing anything and then I just reverse engineer it. So I go, right, if the end result is I want them to really understand how to put out a launch strategy, okay, based off of what I've seen with clients, I think to do that, I'm gonna need to cover this, this and this, right? What do those topics include? And then I kind of flesh it out from there. But I have to always remind myself, keep it simple. Don't try and change the world in a workshop because it feels like you're doing a good job if you tell them everything, but it actually leaves them feeling a little bit like, eh? <laughs> you what? <laughs> Literally. And they think they're having a great time. But then if you ask them a week later, how was that workshop? They'll be like, oh yeah, it was good. I didn't do anything about it though. Um, I write some bullet points as well. I'm a bullet pointer, not a scripter. But I think that's personal preference. I think that's probably dependent on how much you talk. You're quite a natural talker. So I can imagine just give you a bullet point. You're off for about 20 minutes. <laughs> Honestly, I did a video shoot this morning. And I think this team had been used to people that were maybe a bit more conscious in front of a camera and they were like, you're the other end of the spectrum. Like, you're just like, go. Yeah, they give me a bullet point. I've gone for about six minutes and they'd be like, right. So you've, it's about seven tangents in that point you just made. I'd be like, yeah, are we done? Um, how would you say is the best way to put yourself forward for potential opportunities? So we talk about this a fair bit when people email you about wanting to come on the podcast, that kind of vibe. So what what is the best way for people to put themselves forward for opportunities and what would you say works and doesn't work let me give you a how-to guide how to, to guide to yeah. be on this podcast number one don't pitch to be on this podcast alice doesn't read those emails <laughs> i do read them i do and then i go okay <laughs> goodbye but that's because they're such bad pitches i'm really sorry if anyone's listening to this they're savage, savage no 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 it's definitely not people in my community you can just tell <laughs> okay. you can just tell okay i would always recommend with any kind of outreach build a relationship first i'm going to be so much more receptive to a pitch that comes into my inbox whether it's to be on this podcast or to do something for them whatever it might be if i recognize the name already and i have a positive association with that you know, have a hit list of people that you're wanting to build relationship with and intentionally build relationship. Stalk them online, comment on their stuff. You know, don't do it creepily or inauthentically, but build a bit of relationship, warm them up, make sure they know who you are. So that then when you go in for the kill with the pitch, it feels that little bit warmer and they're gonna recognize your name. I think then in terms of the pitch itself, the biggest thing I'd say, and I know this sounds stupid, but is make sure to prove that you actually know what you're pitching to. The amount of people that pitch to be on this podcast and by their pitch, I just know they've never listened to it. The way they talk about it or what they think I talk about on it, I'm like, I can just tell you've read the titles and that's it. Or even worse than that, I've received pitches before where they've used the wrong name. They've called the podcast the wrong thing. I had one previously where one of my friends has a podcast and they'd addressed it to her and her podcast. Oh, that's and I was like, awkward. come on. Like, copy and pasting is fine, but copy and paste and then edit a few elements. At least yeah. make it feel personal. So I think when I'm getting a pitch, if someone acknowledges something about the podcast that tells me they've listened to it, and then their pitch relates to the podcast, that's always helpful. If someone pitches to me, some 60-year-old American male entrepreneur in the finance space, probably not going to be a good fit. Or if the topic you pitch to me isn't something I talk about on this podcast like, I don't know, cryptocurrency, probably not gonna be a good fit. So I know that sounds basic, but I think 
make it personal, show that you know what you're pitching to and make your pitch relevant. So then it's an easy yes. Josephine Brooks, great example. She pitched to me and said, hey, I know you're really passionate about talking about mental health online. Here's my story of mental health and running a business. I'd love to have this discussion on your podcast. And I was like, perfect. That's such an easy yes. She's done the work for me. She's basically come up with a whole concept and I just get to say yes and do it. So I think that's where I would come from with it. And I think that applies to any kind of pitching. Yeah. Build relationship first, be personal, make it an easy yes. And for the love of God, don't make it like a seven paragraph long email and don't put attachments. <laughs> I don't like reading attachments. I'm just, I'm a real dick this episode. The rest of the questions are podcast related. You love to make the questions link. It's my favorite thing is watching you over there trying to work out, <laughs> right? How can I segue from sandwiches to workshops? <laughs> What's the link? <laughs> there wasn't one. Anyway, how do you get sponsorship for a podcast? Because I think that's quite an important one. I know that you can go down the route of like, if you if you distribute through Anchor, you can automatically just get sponsorship because of the way that Spotify like links things together. Mm. But how do you get a sponsorship deal that's actually like an integrated sponsor like you do? Great question. Because if you go down the route of an Anchor or an Acast, they are going to pay you such little money. It's like pennies yeah because that's what rate the big podcasters charge at yeah because they have massive reach but the benefit of a smaller podcast is it might be a smaller reach but it's an engaged and relevant audience so i think the best way to go about it if you do want to monetize your podcast in this way is to look for brands and companies who want to get in front of your audience so for me i know that my audience is primarily female uk-based small business owners and entrepreneurs Typically people who are running their own businesses, you know, zero to three employees, generally in the kind of first five years. That gives me a really good understanding of who I've got. So I can then go, right, who wants to get in front of them? What brands, what companies want to get in front of that audience because it's their target market? And then I think it's similar to the pitching one. You know, we've been fortunate that all of our partners so far have actually come just from organic relationship. I've known the brands already or they've reached out to me on their own. I haven't had success, I'm just gonna be honest, with pitching for sponsorship, unless there's already been a relationship there. But I think if you're wanting to pitch for sponsorship, the rules of the previous one is the same, you know, show the value that you can bring, make it relevant, build relationship first. But yeah, for us, the most important thing has always been it being a good fit. This podcast doesn't make profit. When we have sponsorship, we break even. When we don't have sponsorship, we lose money, just being honest. Like you can listen to a sponsor on this episode and think like, oh, there she is getting her cash. <laughs> like it literally just covers the cost of the studio and M's time, which is fine. I didn't say that in a bad way. I do this podcast for, for more than just the financial gain because it doesn't really have any financial gain. <laughs> you know, I, I enjoy doing it and it, it, it's good for brand outreach. But yeah, we have found success in getting sponsors despite having a smaller reach than a lot of podcasts because we have such an engaged and relevant audience. And you know what? Great timing. Because next week we've got a new sponsor starting. Come on, guys. Pay my bills. <laughs> pay I messaged, you to have me here. <laughs> I messaged you, didn't I? I was like, we got the sponsorship. Your job is safe. And then you followed up with, nothing your job wasn't safe before, by the way. And I was like, great job security. I feel wonderful. <laughs> don't tell you I don't give you everything. You're at Alice Benham Limited. Okay, so finishing off, final, final question relating right. to the podcast. What is one piece of advice you'd wish that someone had given you five years ago when you first started the podcast big question wait five years ago how long has the podcast been going 
that Always for good. an hour. Okay. Good to know that you know the podcast so well. <laughs> the embarrassing thing is it was actually my top listen to podcast before I started this job, just saying. Was it? Yeah. That's so cute. No, look at me. I actually wrote that in my job application <laughs> for this job. <laughs> Well, I probably read that. Probably that just and didn't wish we knew. It. I listened to them religiously last year. That was a fun podcast. It was. I enjoyed that. Vix, if you're listening, love you. I used to listen to it while I worked my cafe pasty shop job. I listened to your podcast and dream about the day I could be self-employed. And yeah. look at you now. You're <laughs> editing the very podcast <laughs> that I used to dream of. That is full circle. God, what Absolutely time to be alive. That. Uh, what do I wish that I knew? I know this sounds really silly. But I would just go back and say to myself, well done, keep going. You're going to be really glad that you started this one day. I don't really know that I change anything because I, and I mean this with no arrogance at all, I don't think I've made any massive mistakes with the podcast. I think there's moments where it's kind of strayed off course or I've taken it a slightly wrong direction, but it's never been like detrimental. I mean, it's not much damage you can do with a, an audio medium. You know, it's not super risky. It doesn't do a lot if it goes wrong. Yes, for about a year, it didn't have any traction. I never once considered giving it up. I think if I'd considered giving up in the first year, what I'd say is like, keep at it, don't give up. But I didn't, I just loved it. And I'm really glad I started it because I loved it. Because that means that whatever happens with the stats, like you'll know recently, we've had a great growth in the reach of this podcast. I'm really proud of that. That's down to, you know, all the extra effort that we've put in and listeners sharing. But that doesn't really make a massive difference to me. Like I would do this podcast even if it still had that really low reach. Might not put as much time and money into it, but I'd still do it because I really love it. So I guess that would be my more like soppy answer. I'd just be, go you, keep going. You'll You'll be really proud that you did this one day. Maybe a practical tip that I'd share. Don't try and record episodes from your car. Did you do that? Yeah. Quite a few times. Any reason? Don't know. The audio in my car, at least, is actually quite good, but it's quite uncomfortable. I think I wish I'd moved to a studio sooner. Yeah, I do get Because that. in hindsight, I was actually on the loo earlier when I was thinking about this. <laughs> You're Love welcome. That. I was thinking, right, it costs us about, what, like £150 to hire this studio out for a guest episode. What I would use to pay in travel and in room hire and in having to lug the equipment round and in the fact that it still didn't sound very good because we weren't in a studio was probably pretty close to that amount anyway. So I think I would have upped the production quality sooner. It's also way easier to do in a studio. It also looks so slick and professional. Makes me look so much better than I actually am. Yeah, when people come in, you're like, I feel like being like, wow, look at this space. It's a big deal. Yeah. Big name on campus. I walk in and I'm like, oh, look at us in our studio. Yeah. With brick walls. I actually remember to take it in. This is very cool. (laughs) Ground. So yeah, I'm very glad I started this podcast. Good, I'm glad. Gave me a job. Yeah, (laughs) congrats. Thank you so much. I don't like to think too deeply about paying other people's bills because it um, it overwhelms me a bit. So if you could just pretend this is a hobby for you. This is just a hobby. I really do just do this for fun. (laughs) This is my genuine fun. I don't have any hobbies. It's just the podcast. Purely for the thrill. Oh, yeah. I tell you what we need to say. This is my last episode before my month off. I genuinely thought you were going to follow up with, this is my last episode ever. I didn't expect that, especially with the new podcast spots lined up, but okay. <laughs> I've got sponsorship and I'm And I'm leaving, it. bye. Um, you're taking it over. No, I, I'm off this week. This Friday, if you're listening to this the week that it comes out, I will be signing off for a whole month. If you're not familiar, I take a month off from my business each year, did a whole episode about it, if you want to listen. 
learn how I do it, why I do it. So goodbye for the summer, but actually not goodbye. <laughs> because, drumroll please, Em. <laughs> we are creating a summer school series. Bum, bum, bum. I thought you might miss me. So guess what? She might be off but she's still on the podcast. Every single week in August, we're gonna be doing a summer school episode. My vision for this series was to share with you five very easy to digest, very easy to apply business lessons. I'm gonna be talking about five really key areas when it comes to your business foundations. We're gonna be talking about defining your mission, making a memorable brand, building out your marketing strategy, pricing yourself, managing your time, setting goals, basically the fundamentals of business. Every week, 20 minute episode max. Let's wait and see if I stick to that. For you to really kind of dig back into the business basics, whether you're at the start, you're doing it for the first time, or you're a bit later on and you're like, do you know what I could do with a little revisit to that key topic? That's what the next five weeks is gonna be. So subscribe to make sure that you don't miss out. Keep keep an ear out for our new sponsor. Uh, you hope you're so excited. It. I know, honestly. Set your alarms for next Tuesday. Just when Em thought she had the month off, she doesn't anymore. <laughs> so Em, I'm taking the month off. But Enjoy you, these five episodes to edit. <laughs> Thank you so much. Just keeping you in a drop. So there's going to be five weeks of summer school and then of course I'll be back in September. We'll have a little chit chat about my month off, about how much Emma's enjoyed editing those five episodes because so she excited. loved it so much. And then we will continue with guest episodes and normal length solo episodes come September. So... Make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen so that you don't miss out. Have a great summer. I'm about to record some summer school episodes. So guess what? When you hear me next week, it's the same me, but it's going to be a different you. Isn't that crazy? Mind blown. Bye. See ya.